Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I am so excited that you're here, and I just want to continue to say, you guys rock. I'm getting more subscriptions and downloads to the podcast, and I got this delightful message this morning that just told me how much somebody loved the podcast, and I've gotten two new members to the Gay With God Facebook group, and they both have said, oh, I love your podcast. Thanks for having us, and I'm just so excited. So I'm I'm doing this because of the journey I've taken, but I'm also doing this podcast because of the journey I want you guys to be able to take. If you're aligned with that, I want you to know that no longer do we have to sit on the outside of the church and feel that abomination or that discrimination, that we can be gay with God. We can sit with the God of our understanding inside of a building with other people and have all of the benefits of that, that experience. So Um, Thank you for loving the podcast. Thank you for joining and downloading and subscribing. And if you want to do a little review, please feel free. We're on Apple. We're on all the podcast links that you need. And so go give us a review so other people can find this this amazing experience of people telling their story and being brave enough to step into this, this Gay With God house and and tell their story. Today, I am so excited. I saw this lady on Facebook. Somehow, I don't even know how I caught a video of this lady. And I I just was like, uh, one, I have to get to know her. And two, she's got to be on my show. And I think she also came recommended by other people that I know. So Reverend, and I'm going to say Reverend to begin with, and then I'm switching to Pastor Dawn. But first, I want to acknowledge that this is Reverend Dawn Bennett. And she is an evangelical Lutheran church minister and pastor, and she serves at the table in downtown Nashville. Her ministry work centers the lived experiences or the lived experiences. One of those things. It's midge and it's morning. You guys know me. Okay. (laughs) The lived experiences of the LGBTQ plus people. She is long committed to social justice and works to facilitate healing from religion-based trauma for both individuals and communities. Pastor Dawn is known around town as the holy hellion. (laughs) I love that. I've got an image. So in addition to all of the uh, pastoral stuff that she does, she serves the community in a variety of ways. She attends named church court and accompanies people for gender affirming surgeries. She raises funds for local nonprofits. She prays at public events. She gives rides and delivers food boxes and keeps public officials on blast for nasty legislative bills. Ministry aside, her favorite role is mom to her three groans and Gigi to her three grands. Pastor Dawn currently resides on the fourth floor with her black-tailed Tetris, Mo, Larry, and Curly. <laughs> I love that. If So I want to welcome you, Pastor Dawn, to the <clears throat> Gay with God house. Hello. Good, good, good morning. Grace and peace to you. It is such an, an honor and a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm so excited about, about the things that we're going to talk about. 
Me too. Me too. So with all of that, I just want to say, I know I botched the bio, but there's grace in everything we do. And people, perfection is highly overrated. And I promise you, if you're above ground and still breathing, honey, things are just going to happen. So, you know, I, my mom always says by the grace of God, there go I, there you go. uh, Of course, my mom didn't coin it, but, but, uh, But you're exactly right. If we're above ground, God's grace is a requirement. Thankfully, I'm Lutheran. (laughs) Yeah, you. (laughs) Okay, so I I don't want to waste another minute. I want you to feel free to tell us your story. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was I was thinking and praying this morning about some of the things that we might talk about. And I thought gay with God, gay with God. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that I've been so much gay with God as God's been gay with me. Ooh, tell me more. The very first question you want to know is when I knew I was gay. And the reality is like my whole life, my whole life. I've been bisexual my whole life. And I never thought a thing about it, to be quite honest, until uh, probably 10 or 11 years old. And even that was a little bit uneventful. I was like, okay, I like boys and girls. Yeah. Okay. The world is filled with boys and girls. Um, of course, that was the language I had back then. Now I say the world is filled with people. Um, but nonetheless, I never once have felt that God was sideways with me. From the very beginning, I have always felt in my heart and in my life that God loves me and that um, I was created by God with this little a teaspoon of love, you know? Mm-hmm. And so even as a little, a little child, I never had shame and I never had guilt mm-hmm. about myself. That's not to say that the world around me wasn't riddled with mm-hmm. those things. And so when I thought about being gay with God, I, it, it I just, I really had to, to kind of lean into that and kind of unpack that for myself, because I just think that if God is who God says they are, then there must be an element of, of God in, in each one of us. And that means that people who were born gay and lesbian and bisexual and intersex and, um, and asexual and bisexual, that, that God is innately part of who we are. And so if that be the case, then there are so many different kinds of people and God is in each one of us Mm -hmm. and God is representative of the people group called creation. Then, then there's gotta be a little bit of, of pep in the step for God. (laughs) You know, I mean, he's, he, she, they has to be wearing multicolored loafers or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. I don't know. (laughs) I'm getting, I'm getting too theological for, for 9am. (laughs) <laughs> was it 9 a.m. where you are? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's earlier than me. So, so bless you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you alluded to the fact that you've always been settled in yourself. And I love that. And I, and I'm so happy for you. The world, of course, like you also alluded is not always that way. Where did you find pushback as you were coming into your own authentic self? Where was the pushback? The greatest pushback I experience is, is currently, Mm. uh, currently. So I, 
I'm an ordained pastor in the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the largest Protestant denomination, also the most white. Uh, and there are lots and lots of Christian sex denominations that do not welcome LGBTQ plus folks into ordained clergy. And so the greatest pushback that I get is current, right? It's, it's very, um, um, how shall we say it? Well, it's not problematic for me, but it's problematic for a lot of people, public people and clergy people that there is a, a female clergy person who is also bisexual, who also requires myself to stay public about my call. That was one of the promises I made to God and one of the promises I made to folks that I serve. Um, and one of the promises that I made to myself that I would not hide anything. And God calls me to some pretty difficult things some days, but the promise that I made, I have to keep. And so the pushback that I, that I get is from parts of the public, whether that be, you know, local, state, country, global, who simply don't believe, and I did my air quotes, don't believe that being a bisexual female clergy person is a thing, Mm -hmm. right? That I am an abomination and that I have, uh, I've received a lot of email that says you've disgraced the caller. Yeah, I've disgraced the caller. And I think to myself, I would love for you to meet the God of grace. Mm. I would love for you to meet my God. Uh, And I don't mean God of the Lutheran church. I mean, God of the Uh people, God Uh of creation is a very graceful being. Even with God's self, God is graceful. Mm. God was graceful with, with Jesus. Uh Right. And so it's, it's important to talk about the blowback, but it's also important, I think, to, to say that uh, I don't do this work alone. I came into clergy life late. I came out publicly as bisexual late in life, and there are good reasons for those uh, two things. Uh, I stay in the pulpit kicking and screaming. (laughs) Uh, God knows that I'm a brat. (laughs) I'm just a brat. I'm telling you, I'm just a big old brat. (laughs) So I really cannot afford spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, I cannot afford to sit in quagmire of the blowback Uh of people who, who don't want to acknowledge that God's message could come through a person such as myself there. I'm not called to defend that kind of, right. Of rhetoric. I'm called to liberate oppressed people. Yes. And in our oppression, and, and we all have our self-imposed oppression with homophobia, but we also have the oppression of, oh, this person's in office, you get rights. Oh, wait, no, now you don't get rights. And that, you know, never feeling as if we've arrived fully equal um, and, and seen. So for people who are struggling <clears throat> with the pushback, because as we're coming up and out of ourselves, that, that can stick. And it can, it can change the trajectory of our lives. So what would you say from your own experience? How do you, how do you separate what you know about yourself and, and the pushback so that you don't stay in that quagmire? Safety first. Yeah. Always safety first. And uh, that uh, 
allow me to unpack that just a little bit. I do believe the God who created each of us wants us to be in the world, mm-hmm. right? Because only by being in the world, and by that I mean alive, only by being in the world can our personal expression of God be shared with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. That is God's heart for each of us. But because of the world in which we live, filled with danger and violence and political uh, backlash and things of that nature that that threaten the livelihood of LGBTQ plus people and allies, I might add, mm-hmm. parents of, of gay kids, right? Safety has to be paramount. I told this to my son recently. I've got a 27-year-old transgender son. And during a during a, an interview we did together, and I just said, I'm so very sorry to have to reiterate that it's dangerous for people like you to be in this world. And so safety has to be paramount for you. Mm-hmm. And so you have to do whatever you have to do to remain safe. Now, you know, we still tell people, I still tell young folks, as difficult as it is for you to be in the closet, if you are threatened with economic uh, instability, if you are at risk of losing your food, your food, your, your housing, your education, those are things that, that you need as an, to make it to adulthood and to be fruitful in the world. And if those things are threatened in any way, I'm sorry to tell you, dear one, but the closet is the safest place for you, Mm -hmm. but even there, you're not alone, right there. Uh, a lot of this work, is uh, coming up through the school systems, even the most conservative, unaffirming school systems have eked away for an outlet. Uh, and so, and it's the same thing with families. A lot of the, the, the work that we do as, as advocates and allies uh, still is underground, particularly in places like where I live in the deep South. Mm-hmm. So safety has to be, even for myself, I'm very careful when I'm traveling or speaking to always let people around me know where I am, who I'm with, in case I don't come home at night <laughs> yeah, or don't yeah. arrive, you know, um, we just, we have to be safe. And, and I know that I, uh, I take seriously the, the danger that I potentially could be in by being public mm-hmm. about God's love for LGBTQ folks. But at the same time, God has called me to a public pulpit. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And I'm also not going to cowtail to homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia. Instead, uh, I'm going to take a subversive approach and surround myself with people who love me and who support the work that God is doing Mm -hmm. through me and through the table. And uh, because there is safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you started with safety first. And I totally agree with you. When I did work as a therapist for many, many years, and many kids wanted to come out. And I was so afraid for them because of the families they lived in. And I knew that it was going to be a battle. And we had several discussions about that. And I love the fact that you reminded all of us that we have community. And where there's community, you're going to be able to feel that love. And when you don't feel it from the outside world, you know, there is, especially now online communities, you know, people that you can align with groups that you can join and that they can always be there to support you. Yes. Yes. You know, and, and I love that uh, in the last decade or so, we have coined the phrase chosen family. 
Mm. And um, someone once told me, it's probably been about 15 years now. They said, you know, Don, family is not necessarily the group of folks you're, you're born with or born into. Family is the people who show up for you mm-hmm. on the daily mm-hmm. to surround you and be with you and help you along mm-hmm. the way. And I think as we, as we become more acquainted with uh, adulthood and we differentiate from uh, our birth families, if it doesn't always go as planned, there are people that we do find along the way that come alongside us and provide all kinds of help and hope. And so chosen family is just absolutely a requirement, I think, but not only for LGBTQ folks, I think, I, I think when we, when we think about chosen family, um, it, it it's kind of a lateral thing, right? If, if you, uh, if you lose both of your parents in mm-hmm. adulthood, say early adulthood, and you have children, then your children are no longer with grandparents. And mm-hmm. so it's really common to find uh, foster grandparents, you know, yeah. it's, and I think sometimes we pigeonhole mm-hmm. some of these, some of these uh, phrases that like chosen family, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's become almost, um, a marquee for the the LGBTQ community when really it's just the people that that choose to be around you and you choose to be around to share mm-hmm. to share love and support. Yeah. Even even families that are all heterosexual, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean that you feel embraced and and you know given the support you need. So yeah. absolutely it's for everyone. Just like the God of your understanding can be for everyone and that we don't have to worry about that as well. So, so as you were coming up, when did you, when did you, you you said you came out late and you got the call late. How did that happen? (laughs) So I, I actually, no, I entered the call late. I I entered the call late because I was dragging my feet. (laughs) Because you're a brat. (laughs) Yes, I am. Well, mostly because when when you begin to understand what God has has in store for you, you're like, oh, um, you know, I think I'll take a pass. Can we pause uh, that? Can we pause that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When when I was younger, my dad told me a joke. My dad was, uh, I was, I came up in the Catholic tradition and my dad was a deacon in the Catholic church. And, um, that speaks a lot. Yes, it does. I was <laughs> just going to say, boom. <laughs> yeah. But he said, um, when, when I first started talking to him in my early teenage years about serving in ministry, because I've known for at least 40 years, you know, he said when he told me a little joke, he said, when God was passing out roses, I thought I, I thought he, I thought God said noses and said, no, I'll wait for a red, big, big red one. No, I'm a terrible joke teller. But <laughs> so I came out during seminary Ooh. and um, I went to seminary post-divorce of a 20 plus marriage mm. after having raised three children. Wow. Yeah. So it's late in life. It's yeah. late. In life. And um, but again, I, you know, I came out to myself a whole lot as I mentioned earlier, right. you know, yeah. uh, I've been out to myself my whole life. I didn't even realize necessarily it was a thing or that I was different or, you know, but, um, but coming out publicly after, after everything that, um, 
I'm going to try not to cuss because sometimes I, I slip up. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, I, I just have my first inkling of a thought because I often refer to that phase of life as a shitstorm. Okay. But after, after coming up through that and just realizing that, that I was yet going to make a third and hopefully God willing final career shift into ministry. Um, God seemed to buffer me in ways that I needed, but I didn't realize I was being prepared for. Mm. Right. So my coming out, the first three people that I told were my children Mm. and it came during the same season that I said, I'm going to seminary. (laughs) And so, yeah, it just, it was like this big cataclysmic event that that took Dawn from a very private place because I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm a very private person. Um, I live my private life very privately and I live my public life very publicly Mm -hmm. and that's on purpose, both of those things. And so I told my children, and everybody was, you know, fine with that. They were just like, mom, we just, we, we want you to be happy and you be Aww. you. Right. Yeah. But by this time, um, the, the spiritual warfare had already infiltrated my home and blew the doors off my home. Mm. And so I don't have a, a child now who practices Christianity. Mm. That was stripped from their life Mm. in a very violent way. Mm. And so my heart grieves that. And, but I know God's grace is bigger than the hurt and the pain. Mm -hmm. And I know that God's love extends Mm -hmm. to not only my children, but, but everybody's children Mm. who have lived through this experience. So the next few folks that I went to are my siblings. I've got two gay brothers and a lesbian sister. And uh, one of my brothers is special needs also. And, um, and then I have a brother, my oldest brother is, is straight. So I went to my, to my siblings and I said, you know, this is, this is what's up. And they said, well, okay. You know, it's not a surprise. <laughs> it wasn't not a shock. Join the club, you know, <laughs> you know come on in the boat officially. Yeah. yeah so, right. so that went fine. Um, the abrasion came with when to tell my mom, Mm. my mom's in her, in her, uh, middle eighties. And as I said, I was born into a Catholic family, Uh none of which any of us are except my devout Catholic mom. And I, I hold no animus toward that. I took wonderful things away from, um, Catholicism that I still hold dear today. Uh But there was a bit of a uh, of of a of a, a consternation about when and how to tell my mother, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and and so we there was a bit of back and forth, and finally I just said no, you know, this is the time, and and to be quite honest with you, um, I'm not going to say it went poorly. It just kind of um, she heard me, and she understood what I said but by erasure is, is not new news. Mm -hmm. Bisexual people experience erasure all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time, every day, all the time. 
And so I experienced by erasure with my mom. And um, but at the same time, you know, she's still often trying to wrap her mind around the reality that she has a Lutheran pastor for a daughter. That's her biggest grief, right? You left the Catholic church. Yeah, it it is her biggest grief. I believe it's, it's maybe not a grief, but a heartache, Mm -hmm. because I think if there was anybody to hold out hope on that would practice a vibrant faith, it would be Don Marie. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is that is true. I do practice a very vibrant faith, but but that denomination does not afford me the option mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Right. On right. two counts. On two, two counts. counts. Yeah. Yeah. And so I could have stayed in lay ministry, but, but I knew that's not what God was calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in, in the late eighties, I, I uh, transitioned over to the Lutheran church and um kind of grew up there, you know, and I think, I think in, in some small way, um, that was the wisdom of, of the Holy spirit guiding me Uh because when I, when I, when I just joined the Lutheran church in the late eighties, they themselves were not open to ordaining clergy folks. That didn't happen until 2009. Wow. Quite some time later. So yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey, but I have to say that that you know the the closer it came for me to do a couple of things to to come out to um, go through seminary to go through candidacy and ordination and take the call at the table, God has been very good to keep me surrounded by people who compassionately come alongside me. Mm-hmm. and take me under their wing and mm-hmm. help train me up. And I believe that that, you know, that's what scripture says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I still consider myself a child. Uh, even in my, my mid fifties, I'm a child uh, to some of these older, more seasoned pastors who have by God's great grace and by their willingness uh, helped to mentor and guide me and will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. That's wisdom of the sages. I call it. Ah, I love that. Very, very thankful for them. Mm-hmm. Straight white men too, by the way. Oh my goodness. No, most of them. Yes. yes <laughs> most of them. It's, it's quite a blessing. Well, you've come through so much and, and even though you knew about yourself all along, those those moments of coming out, and I actually said this to somebody just the other day, that coming out is not an event, it's a process, and it's an ongoing process. And anytime you come to somebody that you haven't met before, you know, it's a process. When do you, you know, when do you tell all of you? How do you express that? And and how does that go? And um, you know, I'm I'm grateful that you had a a huge support system within your family, as far as your siblings and, and your kids. Um, I'm saddened by the fact that your kids um, were injured during that whole process. And we all have a path, you know, and, and I, I believe as you do that, you know, like I said before, as long as you're above ground and still breathing, you know, the light of hope and grace and renewal can happen 
in in the blink of an eye. So, you know, I Oh, I absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, I I have to hold out that hope because I mm-hmm. do believe that God has gifted me with the family that I had, you know, and mm-hmm. it 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 goes without saying that that their dad uh, was also injured in this process. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't, oh, yeah. he didn't expect to lose his marriage. I didn't expect to lose mine. And my children didn't expect the doors to be blown off of our family. And, right. um, you know, so, so we've all been injured and we've all been restored, uh, at least as far as I can see at the stage that we are in life, knowing that we are always going to grow mm-hmm. and, wherever it is that we are today is not where we were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's also not going to be where we are tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I remain hopeful about. And just know that God's grace and God's love comes in many, many shades. Mm-hmm. Many, yes. many. Shades. Yes. So, so one of the questions I get a lot um, is for our brothers and sisters who are going through transition into the, in the trans community, somebody told me one time, and I thought this was brilliant because I was, I was searching and I was still trying to find where I fit in, in the community of God. And I said, I asked the question, what about people who are transsexual? You know, what, what do you think God thinks about that? You know, because I was being told, no, you're, you're in, okay. You can be gay and you can be in a relationship with God. And I said, and what about the trans community? Because I've always been told that God doesn't make junk and that we're born and we're created by God. And I said, Mm -hmm. just help me to understand that. And, and this very sweet person said to me, you know, and, and he, he was a priest and he said, here's the thing. I don't have all the answers and I have a lot of questions, but this is what I would believe. That if God created somebody and they were identified as a certain gender at birth, the only way I put that together in my head (laughs) is that that person has a higher calling to teach us to be understanding and compassionate. Because what better way for us to have to reckon with openly loving and being, you know, affirming to someone than to have someone say, okay, I might've been born this gender, but I'm feeling internally that something's different. He goes, I know that God works internally. So if there's an internal question, it's because it was placed there by God. Mm -hmm. And anytime that God creates something, it's for our way to grow spiritually, emotionally, and as people. Yeah. 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 I, um, my second child was declared by the doctors as a girl. Okay. And so we raised that child as a girl and it became evident very early that, um, there was a a very strong probability, not possibility, probability that they would come out as lesbian. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so conversations started early, right? And, and of course that, that happened early in high school. And only when I learned, when my child was about 20 years old, they were living in the Northeast because the Southeast became intolerable for them to live happy. And so they had an opportunity to move to the Northeast. And little did they know they were moving to a very queer centric 
town um, with one of my siblings. So it was a safe environment to kind of grow up and bloom a little, you know. And as a result, um, my child learned a lot about what it means to flourish as a human. Mm. And um, life changed a little bit in, in demographics. My sister moved back, moved back, uh, south. And so my child is somewhat of a homebody and needed (laughs) kind of a restart, you know, needed to be around mom. So, uh, so he came back to this part of the country and in so doing expressed the newness of his own identity Mm. and the knowledge of who he was created to be. And his transition began in 2020 and continues to this. No, I beg your pardon. His transition began in 2015 and continues through this day. He's in his seventh year and he's happy. He's alive. He's healthy. He's, um, you know, he, he had, he struggles with the same thing most young adults struggle with, you know, how to stay grounded to the world and support yourself and education and and the whole bit, but his personhood, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than carrying deep wounds of spiritual trauma, it, when you see him, his countenance says, I am at home in myself. Yay. Right. And so Mm -hmm. as a parent, I have to say that, that, that is, is, um, Oh boy, it is comforting Mm. because I still fear for his safety Mm -hmm. because the reality is he's a man with a vagina. And when things like, you know, public health and things that happen that will require hospitalization, uh, those things are, are, they scare me, Uh but, uh, but Uh every day that goes by that a trans person stays alive Uh is a day that they learn more about who they are. Mm-hmm. more about who God is and more about how the world operates. Mm-hmm. And I think those are really important lessons. Mm-hmm. I do think um, viewers won't be able to see it, but I'll be able to show you. I have okay. this tattoo. I have this tattoo on my arm. Oh, nice. Okay. And the tattoo is four names and they are my children in order of their birth. And I got all four names because it this tattoo came to me in a vision from God. I was on a beach um, experiencing restoration. I grew up on an island, so that's always my go-to is the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people say, oh, you have three kids, you know, because they see the heartbeats on the end of the tattoo. No, I have, uh-huh. you have four kids. No, I have three kids. Well, there's four names. And so it gives me an opportunity to talk about um, parenting a transgender child. And I say, you know, I'm blessed that I feel like I got a son and a daughter in the same person. <laughs> and um, I think the opportunity to parent a transgender child is an especially important gift from God. And I wish more people understood it the way I'm about to tell it. Jesus was an extraordinary child. Jesus was extraordinary by all counts, human and divine. I don't think anybody argues that. Mary, of all of the women that were available at the time that this child was being dreamed up, Mary was chosen of all these women. 
could have chose anybody, chose Mary. Mm. Handpicked Mm -hmm. to carry Jesus into the world. And when I gave birth to my child, we have to go back several generations, Midge, you see, because we are all connected through our lineage. Mm -hmm. My great-great-grandmother gave birth to my great-grandmother, gave birth to my grandmother Estelle, who gave birth to my mother, who when my mother was born, God said, finally, finally, I get to go and start working on Dawn. (laughs) Right? And so that happened to me. When I was born, as soon as I came into this world, God said, fabulous. This is so fabulous. I get to start working on Logan. My trans beloved child who the world won't even know for another 30 years. Uh Right. And so of all the women available at the time that my child was being created in the womb, God chose me Uh of everybody available. When I think of all of the female people who are of childbearing, uh, uh, you know, opportunity Mm -hmm. in my, let's say high school class, Mm -hmm. God chose me to carry my child Mm -hmm. and what a blessing and what a gift it has been hard. It has been scary. It has been a lot of things Mm -hmm. just like parenthood is they don't come with a rule book. That's right. (laughs) Right. And every child is different and I have three. So, and they could not be more different, but that's the message that I wish more parents understood Mm. is that you were hand picked mm-hmm. to bring your child into this world, to raise this child with love and compassion, to give this child an understanding of divine creation and what it means to be beloved and what it means to be created by the very hand of God as individual as you are. Mm-hmm. And so God, you know, God doesn't really do anything in a vacuum. God's all about the, 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 the double shot. Right. And so <laughs> I believe that. I, believe, I mean, why, why stop at one when you can have a two for one? Right. That's right. That's right. And so God got to bless my life mm-hmm. and got to bless my child's life simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually a three shot because my, you know, uh, his dad too. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that transgender people have such a blessed life and they need to hear that more often. Mm -hmm. They need to hear more often because many of the trans folks that I am in community with and that I pastor want to know why me, why me, why me, why this terrible thing, but you are beloved Mm -hmm. and God chose you to live this life as a unique expression of God's creativity and God's love in this world. Mm. And, you know, four or 5% of people on the planet get to have that experience. Mm -hmm. You get to have that experience because God chose you because God loves you that much that God wanted to be seen in the world through your embodiment and more trans people need to hear that message too. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I have never heard it put so eloquently and so beautifully. Pastor Don, that is just, Mm -hmm. 
That's incredible. It is is a blessing. It is not a burden. And that is the narrative that I am called to expose. It is Mm -hmm. a blessing for parents, for people. Mm -hmm. It is not a burden. The burden is that we don't have enough um, stewards of love and grace and mercy Mm. to come alongside trans folks and their parents and their families, their extended families. Mm -hmm. The burden is that we have legislation that is nasty and violent Mm. toward people who are different Mm -hmm. than the mainstream, Mm -hmm. right? The burden is that we have uh, church folk who bastardize God's love and say things like you're an abomination. Mm -hmm. I've never said that. Mm -hmm. People said that. That's what I just said last night from the pulpit. God, God, Jesus didn't do this to you. People did this to you. Mm-hmm. Zealots did this to you who have mm-hmm. a misunderstanding of scripture and a misunderstanding of the wide breadth of God's love. Mm-hmm. There is room for everybody <laughs> in this world. God mm-hmm. made sure of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it and, and that is the saddest thing to me because I, I hear this often, you know, even when I, I talk to people about, you know, how I was able to work my way back to an in-person set. Well, and then we had it. <laughs> this is, I'll tell you this. I, I mean, for over probably 20 years, I was out of church. I did Buddhism. I did crystals. I, you know, I found my own spirituality and all the gifts that God could give me, <laughs> but I just wouldn't say the word God. When I finally decided that, that I, I was really being pulled back to a traditional setting to worship, it scared the bejesus out, out of me, really. I, w- I just could. I was shaking. I thought I was going to throw up. My my memoir that I'm writing now, I was going to call it Gay with God, Returning to the Pew Without Puking. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that title. I, I did too. <laughs> A lot of people laugh at it, but then I was told that maybe, you know, maybe not exactly that, but it is in the front of the book because <laughs> now it's mm-hmm. like finding grace through my anger, you know, my doubts and anger and fears. But um, I was really, it was hard to go back. And um, I, I, I told people, you know, my story, and I've had people time after time after time say, well, I will never go back where I'm not wanted. I will never go back inside of a building. Why would I go back and, and worship with people who are hypocrites? And I, I think from time to time, we are all a hypocrite in one mm-hmm. form or fashion. However, yeah. you know, for me, being able to reclaim that faith that I felt was stolen from me was very, very important. Part of my recovery from that, I think, was to be able to reclaim that. And I love the fact that places like the table, you know, even the Episcopal Church that I'm a member of now, that I actually got confirmed into the Episcopal Church. (laughs) Now, I was a a hellfire and brimstone granddaughter baby from the pastor that I grew up with. So for me to go to an Episcopal church, it, you know, all of my people are probably thinking I'm going to hell for that too. First, I'm going to hell because I was gay. Now I'm going to hell because I'm in an Episcopal church. But we found that in Asheboro, North Carolina, a beautiful body of people in this, in this parish that are just living the walk of Jesus and loving and probably not every 100% of the people there would agree that I can be gay with God, but Mm -hmm. they know well enough to keep (laughs) themselves quiet. (laughs) The majority of the people. So I, I hate the fact that people don't believe they can walk through the door of an uh, appropriate affirming church. Mm -hmm. You know, don't walk through the door of the people. We welcome everybody. Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Some of those churches don't. So I want to know more about the table. I want you to talk more about um, this beautiful thing that you're doing in Nashville, Tennessee. Tell us more about the table. Thank you. The table is an interesting place. Uh, so, <clears throat> so the table is um, underwritten by uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Okay. We have our own congregational ID. We are what's called a synodically authorized worshiping community, which means that I work at the discretion of the bishop, who is Bishop Kevin Strickland of the Southeastern Synod. And um, uh, so we serve Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. I can't stop there because the table uh, was birthed. I was called to pastor the table, to form the table, create it, uh, begin it, launch it, whatever you want to say, wow. in dis- in January of 2020. Uh. And as you know, the world went into <laughs> shutdown in March of 2020. And so um, having said that, we went virtual immediately, yeah. as yeah. did every other place in the world, whether it be a place of a religious place or, or otherwise, you know, you had to survive. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up going national very quickly. I was unprepared for that. I'm still unprepared for that. But, but our tagline is grace and a place for you. Mm. I serve a, a spiritually. So a hundred percent of our folks carry some type of religious trauma. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I posit that a hundred percent of humanity does mm-hmm. carry religious trauma because mm-hmm. God is a scary concept, mm-hmm. right? Humanity mm-hmm. wants to know the facts, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> um, humanity wants to know the facts, but, but the facts, even, even facts are relative, right? I think we've learned that in, uh, in, in a lot of, um, public arenas lately, but the table is a place where I only ask two questions as a pastor. And because this is what, this is what God puts on my heart. This is how I pastor. I ask two questions only. What do you need and how can I help? That is it. It's all you'll ever get out of me. And the reason is because I ask, what do you need Because it's my job as a pastor, it's my call to create a safer environment for you to come into my presence, for me to say, Midge, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And then it's my responsibility to create an environment where you can unpack whatever it is you need and want to unpack Mm -hmm. and then be honest to say, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second question is, how can I help? I don't profess to know what a person needs until they tell me and they won't unless I create that space. Right. I also don't profess to be the answer to what you need. Mm-hmm. How can I help? I don't, I don't know what help looks like for you because it might not look like help from my lens. Mm-hmm. Right. And vice versa. And so when I say, how can I help? What does that look like for you? And mm-hmm. If I am the person to, to offer the help, I do. But oftentimes, most often, um, helping somebody comes in the form of a partnership. You know, I consider myself a bridge builder. If someone needs therapy, I have a list of vetted therapists that I am in community with. I don't just pull the name out of off the internet. These are people that I know, people that I myself have interviewed to make sure 
that you will not be a danger to my people, mm-hmm. God's people. Right. Good and, um, and some folks need food cards and bus passes and clothing. And some folks need a, a recommendation or they need a referral. And so I, I pastor in a way that is very community. I'm a community organizer uh, and a community advocate. And so I, my, my partnerships are with a, a, a smattering of, of folks in nonprofit and for-profit mm-hmm. so that I try to keep my circle as big as it possibly can. And um, so that when anybody asks something of me that I cannot, or I'm not the person, sometimes God says, you know, Don, you're not the right one for this. Mm-hmm. This person is, mm-hmm. you know, this other pastor, even mm-hmm. I've sent many folks to other pastors um, because they're looking for something that the table is not yet available to, mm-hmm. to offer. Cause we haven't grown into that yet. Mm-hmm. Or, um, the other context is, is going to be useful. Right. And so, Mm uh, that's really important. Um, lots of people at the table are part of two churches, a traditional church and the table. Nice. It's very non-traditional by the way, (laughs) but you know, but, but the reason for that, and, and I've, and so to close that loop, I then go back to those other church leaders and I say, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Um, because in, in the clergy world, there's this weird competition thing that uh, I don't even know how it started about sheep stealing, you know? And, um, (laughs) but I say, okay, but here's the thing. The table serves a very particular need in the community. And I pick up where a lot of churches leave off. The table picks up where a lot of churches leave off, right? They might get 75% of what they need in a traditional congregation, but they need that last little bit that's queer centric because the table is from the beginning. Everything we do is with a rainbow lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm filling a gap that other churches can't fill and don't need to fill Mm -hmm. because LGBTQ folks are a minority, not a majority. Right. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. so people say, well, you serve the leftovers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. Because the things that we offer at the table are those leftovers that aren't fulfilled in other places. And it's perfectly great. Perfectly great. Right. Perfectly, perfectly great. Um, Because everything we do, a hundred percent of our leadership identifies as LGBTQ. Awesome. A hundred percent. And when many churches are open and affirming and by God's great grace, many more are coming. Right. Um, But many churches are open and affirming. And what that means is, Oh yeah. All the gay people are, are welcome. Just come here. You can come here. You can worship with us. We have a pew for you. We want Uh you to be at home here. Uh And that's fabulous that we need that. Right. But at the table, we too are open and affirming to all of our straight folks come in. You can worship with us. We have a place Uh for you here, Uh except a place in leadership. And that is not discriminatory because the reality is as cishet people, straight identified people, you can have a role anywhere in the world. That's not the same for me. Right. We are full. the, The evangelical Lutheran church in America, the ELCA is full communion partners with the Methodist church. 
Oh. I'm just I'm just pulling them out of a, out of a hat because we actually have um, several full communion partners, you know, PCUSA and UCC. And what do you mean by full communion? Full communion partner, Episcopal Church, too, by the way. OK. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a full communion partner is um, a mainline Protestant denomination whose polity and whose theology is consistent oh. so that we could serve in each other's churches and that we can um, commune each other. I can preside over, over a table and someone can preside, someone from another full communion partner denomination can preside at, at the table. Okay. Not to be coy, but at, I'll just say my table, meaning <laughs> the table of the Lord at the table. Okay. <laughs> the communion table. Come to um, the table. So you have the table. <laughs> exactly. But, but a Methodist church would not call me as a pastor. Nope. But we would call a Methodist pastor to serve in a Lutheran church if that if that came to be, you know. And so there is there there are places where people like myself are still not welcome or able to serve the call that I've been ordained into. And so that is why at the table, the leadership remains LGBTQ identified. Because it has to, because there's such a small sector of the world where our gifts and our talents are openly welcome. Yeah. And so the table works very hard to create those spaces and maintain those spaces. Yeah. And our allies, we've got lots of allies at the table too. And we love our allies. As I mentioned, when we opened, I can't do this work without our allies, right? Right. right. But our allies come to the table and to support and to lift up mm-hmm. folks who identify as trans. Mm-hmm. who light candles at liturgy, who identify as gay, who play music as ministry and offer those gifts. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a very unique place mm-hmm. and it's very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. You know, people tell me most, most folks say, well, Pastor Don, you're, you're not like any other pastor. <laughs> and I just say, it's okay. Yes. It's all right. Trust me. It's okay. Yeah. So, well, the table's not very churchy. <laughs> I say, yeah, I know. And that, that's okay too. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. God, 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 God said it was fine first. So it's <laughs> just following orders. I just have to run with it because, you know. Yeah. Interesting. It's a, it's a beautiful, interesting, eclectic pray, place filled with God's grace. And mm. um, if someone, if someone brings a need, that I can't fulfill. If the table as an organization, as a faith collective can fulfill it, then we create it. Mm-hmm. That's how the community hope chest came into being. Mm. You know, a couple of our trans folks early, early on said, we want to give back to the community. I said, okay, what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. And they said, um, well, we want to, we want to create um, a community closet where transgender folks can come and get uh, clothes and shoes and um, accessories all for free and give it away. And I, so that's a fabulous idea, but the first thing I'm going to do is send you back to think of a different name because the closet isn't going to work. Cause we're not going to have trans folks go in the closet, come back out of the closet. That's not going to work. Love it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, um, so they prayed about it and they came up with the community hope chest. Love that. And so for two years now, um, we have been providing food, uh, clothing and shoes and accessories for folks who experience a barrier to resources at first, it was just the transgender community. And now it's anybody. Yeah. Anybody yeah. because poverty is real. 
Mm-hmm. And poverty, poverty is not a respecter of persons. Yeah. And excess, you know, access is not a respecter of persons. Right. Right. So. Oh, what a light you are, my friend. What a light. Thank you. It's so good to be mm. with you. This has just been wonderful. You know, um, I appreciate, I appreciate your willingness to, mm. uh, to call a queer clergy person to a public pulpit such as this. <laughs> Well, and I appreciate you answering the call, not just to me, (laughs) but the bigger call, because (laughs) the light that you put out into the world and the amount of people that you can touch. And I am so grateful. You know, when we talk about the pandemic and and being grateful, those two things don't usually go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. However, I am extremely grateful that you had to go national so fast because Mm -hmm. now people who are hearing this podcast can say, oh, gosh, I don't live near that. Well, yeah, you do, because all you have to do is click a button and and get on. It's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. You know, one of the ways I tried to one of the ways I tried to close the gap on that national thing is I went and I I was praying about it one day and I was like, these folks are our extended family, Mm -hmm. right? They're extended family. So I went out and I got a big classroom map of the United States and it's plastered on the wall. And every Sunday night, we invite our online folks to put their uh, their geographic location, their city and state in the chat. And then we copy their name on a sticky and we pin them on the map. Oh, how cool. So the map is visible and there's lots of people on the map and it's growing all the time. These are our extended family. Yeah, because we love our extended family. And so I'm currently working on ways that um, that we can be inclusive via Zoom for Uh, folks um, for uh all kinds of events and things like that. You know, I figure if I can stay online for service on Sunday night, then via Zoom, they can come to birthday party, which they do. The trans support gathering meets twice a twice a month, and uh, we've got people out west and uh-huh. in Midwest and Southwest and Northwest, and and then right here in Nashville. Uh, you know, that is fabulous. so awesome. That is yeah. so awesome. Yeah, when when uh, when I was the other part of my story that I forgot because I'm 62, but now I remember it. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait till I'm 80. I won't even know what the heck I'm talking about. But um, I had just transitioned back into uh, formal worship at the Episcopal Church and the pandemic hit. And my priest got extremely sick. Like he had to have a liver transplant. And oh I know. And he's he's uh, recovering and he's he's doing well. But um, <laughs> but I, I heard a person that was in my college. I went to a Christian college and um. And he said to me one day, this, this teacher said something about the unpardonable sin and something about, you know, being mad at God. And so I raised my hand and I said, I said, wait a minute, let me get clarification. So are you saying that if I've ever screamed at God or doubted him or been mad at God, that I've committed the unpardonable sin? And he said, yes. And I said, and you can't come back from that. Like the unpardonable sin is like, I'm going to hell. And he goes, yes. And I said, then why am I here? And he goes, I have no idea. <laughs> and you know why? I'll tell you why. Because if there is a hell, and Bishop uh, Bishop Elizabeth Eaton uh, said this a couple of years ago, I loved it. If there is a hell, hell is empty. Because if you if you read the creed on the third mm-hmm. day, right? Yep. Just before the third day, where did Jesus go? Jesus went down. Down. And then on the third day, he rose again. Jesus went down to clean the place out to say, come with me. Right. I have a place for you where I'm going to create right. a place for you. So right. by God's great grace, if there is a hell, it's empty. It's empty. So 
you know, that as soon as they, as soon as that happened, his words came back to me. I thought, oh my God, I could have killed this priest. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we had a pandemic because I sat on a pew. <laughs> and, you know, oh that, my goodness. And it's, it's not that I stayed there very long in my head, but it did, it did mess with me a few minutes. Be- sure. well, it Well, longer than a few minutes because it's just that those messages. And that's why I love the fact that you talked about the grace and, and not allowing other things that people say to stick on you because you know, we're going to get those triggers, those, those deep religious wounds don't just go away because all of a sudden, you know, you're gay and you're, you're thinking God's okay with it. Right. That's, that's like memory stuff that, that will be triggered. But when you're surrounded by amazing ministers like you and people that are going to support, you know, us this journey, um, at any time, no matter how great we may feel about ourselves, there's going to be legislation. There's going to be something said. Yeah. There's going to be somebody that that we love that gets killed, and that spins all the way around. So we've got yeah. to stay in community. We've got to stay connected to each other and know where the people are that that we are safe with. So, Pastor Don, yeah. I cannot. If I could virtually hug you <laughs> and thank you so much for coming you. today. You are such a light, yeah. and you are welcome back anytime. <laughs> if you guys got stuff going on and you need to, you know, come on and talk about it. I'd love to have you back. So tell the folks before we end up here. Oh, wait, let me ask my final question because I love this question is, okay. So if when people come to you and, and they're trying to come out, they really still are connected to that belief that they cannot be gay, that they're going to hell in a handbasket. What, what do you want to say to them? What does God want you to say to them? I should have asked it that way. <laughs> every, every Sunday night, just after the benediction, I say to folks, beloveds, I love you. God loves you. And don't let anybody, anybody mm. tell you different. Mm. Be well. That's how I end every mm. service. And I think that what I tell folks because I, I do have a fair number of folks who are walking the journey that you just described. Mm-hmm. It's filled with fear and trepidation. I say, talk to God about it. Even if you have to yell at God about it, God is bigger than all. God's got the biggest butt in the world. We always want to say, but God, but God, but God, God's got the biggest butt in the world. Let me tell you. And so there ain't no pants big enough for God. Okay. So <laughs> talk to God about it. And I'll be quite frank. If I had a time for every time I cussed God out, and I mean, Mm. seriously, with very Mm. vulgar language, Mm. I could not do what I'm doing, period. It is not, not only is it not easy to be a human or a a gay human, it's not easy to be human, period. It's not Mm. easy to be a parent. It's not easy to be a CEO. It's not easy to be a pastor. It's not easy Mm. to live this side of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's why we don't go alone. That's why we have a spirit who guides us. Mm-hmm. That's why we have a bosom that we can lay in. And that's why we have humans around us, people to help us. Mm-hmm. Right. Get yourself in front of somebody who affirms you. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I would say. Get in front of somebody who affirms you. I encourage my folks and anybody who will listen to talk to yourself in the mirror, to leave yourself messages all around your house affirming who you are or who you think you are, who you believe you are, who you feel you are. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then ask God for clarity, ask the universe for clarity, and just understand that that clarity will come because God's word does not come back void, but it's not always going to come in the form of human, an audible human. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll come in a sunrise or in an animal Mm -hmm. or in a flower that just miraculously blooms or in a plant that you've been given the opportunity to nurse back to help that all of a sudden didn't die. Okay. Mm. You know, I don't want to get all woo woo woo, but God's God's life force in the world is so much bigger than we give Uh to. Uh And so be real with yourself, wherever it is you are today, God is with you. Mm. Even if you have believed that you have hit your rock bottom, Uh God is with you. Uh Neither death nor life. Uh Right. Right. God is there. Mm-hmm. East, I've I've cast not only my love, but my grace and my mercy, my forgiveness, as far as from the east is to the west. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't believe in God, it's okay to tell God that because you know what? God believes in you. Mm-hmm. And just because we have let go of God doesn't mean that God has let go of us. Mm. That will never happen because that would make God a liar and God is not a liar. Mm. And not because I said so. Mm-hmm. God is not a liar because the world evidences that God is not a liar. People are still being born. Mm-hmm. And as much science as we have, nobody really understands why. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we don't know who made God. So, right. you know, we don't have all the answers. And so mm-hmm. people can't tell us no. definitely what <clears throat> the answers are because we don't have them all. And if, so you, if, if you are in front of a clergy person who claims to know all the answers, please find someone else to talk to. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> I right. Certainly, yeah. We aren't, we aren't made to know all the answers because that's why it's called a mystery of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Part, is but... great, yeah. <laughs> I know. I hate we that all part. I'm an egg and chicken girl. I need to have a beginning and we're from the South. We need to know where your people have come from. So it's like, God, who are your people? <laughs> You and you and you and you and you. Okay, all of us. Okay, great. All of us. Well, I love you. I love you so much. And I extend my love to you. I extend my love and my blessings to the table and the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful, so grateful that you were here. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, thank you. It really is an honor to be with you. And I just, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to talk about the table Mm -hmm. because God is doing um, very interesting and wonderful things in the world through the table. And it's, uh, it's my honor to serve there. And I'm surrounded by lovely humans who, who keep me propped up and accountable. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know that I will put it in on the show page, but tell folks how to find the table now that we've talked it up. I mean, people are like, well, how do I find it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I try to, I try to be a practical person. And so it's super easy. The table Nashville.org. Ta-da. Ta-da. And my and my email address is even easier. Nobody ever says, how do you spell that? My email is Nashville Rainbow Pastor at gmail.com. Super go. easy. I, you know, I, I know it's super easy. Thank but you. Uh, no, the table Nashville.org, and there's a lot of information there. And um, thanks to my fabulous intern um, who has just it's it's wonderful having a millennial intern because. <laughs> He knows things that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we weren't downloaded with that stuff at our age. I mean, no. these, these children come out of the womb texting. Ooh. I swear to goodness. It was like we didn't have any of that. So I thank recently you. learned what a link tree is. It's a fabulous thing. We'll talk later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always learning. I'm above ground, still breathing. I'm always learning. All right. So I thank you and for honoring thank us you. with your faith journey story. And I want to thank our listeners for coming back each week supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Pastor Don, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you. Even Mm. when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out our Facebook group called Gay With God. And if you are struggling and you would like a little coaching to get to the other side, you can hit me up. Go to the Gay With God podcast show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down and you can see how you can get in touch with me. Thanks again, guys. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.